we're going to have a test midway through the message. So pay attention, all right? Can you guys do that? All right? So, so, so uh, here we go. It's, and tr- trust me, I, I, you know, I always do my testing based on the congregation. So this says box, right? Okay. So, so come on, watch. This is no sleight of hands or this is not three-card money or anything like that. So ready? So I'm going to take the little and I'm going to put it into the... Okay, all right. You guys are smart, man. I'm telling you, you are, you are, don't count. You're going to confuse them. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are like, (laughs) oh, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. All right. Okay, so we got that. Everyone paid attention? Midway through, we're going to test, all right? So if you have your programs, you could pull out your outline. We want to follow along today uh, as we look at today's lesson. Uh, We're going to kind of do a little recap from the last couple weeks. We'll jump into today's, uh, today's talk. Uh, we said this in number one at the very top of your outline, that uh, oftentimes we enter into a dangerous place, and we know it, right? There's a sign that says, danger, keep out, slippery when wet. And so when we enter into those places, we kind of, you know, maybe pause a minute. Maybe we're just a little cautious. In some cases, we see that it's really bad, and we just back out of there, and we're like, hey, I don't want to go there. That's, that's not a good place to go. So we kind of hang a U-turn, and we back out. And so we looked at week number one. The issue that all of us struggle with, because we're all humans, is we have the ability to kind of deceive ourselves, right? So we kind of de- uh, deceive ourselves into believing that when we're in a dangerous place, we're not really in a dangerous place. And maybe it's dangerous for you, but it's not really dangerous for me. And so we go through these kind of ideas in our, in our mind where we justify, rationalize, and all that other kind of stuff. And the issue is, if we're in a dangerous place, you can rationalize, you can justify, you can do anything kind of contortions in your brain you want to do. The reality is, you're in a dangerous place. And if you stay in a dangerous place, eventually you are going to experience the harm of that dangerous area, right? Would you agree with that? And so we said this number two in your outline. We said that the longer you live in that dangerous, you know, self-deceived, self-deception area, the more difficult it becomes to see it because you're just kind of grown immune to it. You don't see the hardship or the danger in there. And then many times we believe that it won't harm us. It will harm you, but it won't harm me. It'll harm someone else that we know, and we can get people that'll stand up, but you know what? Somehow, I'm just not going to be affected by the dangerous place in which we're currently in. And then as time goes on, we become more and more convinced that we're right. And when someone comes to you and says, hey man, I know you say you're a social drinker, but dude, come on. I mean, it's like seven days a week. It's like, you know, you drink till you fall over. They drag you to the room. I mean, at some point, you got to face, oh, no, no, I could quit whenever I want. You just say the word, word. No, not that word, a different word, right? And then they, they, they want to kind of push it and prolong it and all that kind of stuff, right? So that's where we've been over the last few weeks. And today, we're going to all decide to invite the devil over to have a room in your house. Anybody interested? You want to invite Satan over to have a guest room in your house, right? You're like, huh? You'd invite Jesus over to your house, wouldn't you? Would you do that? But it's like, come on, you know, Satan, are you kidding me? But here's the reality. Some of you have. And he's actually in that house. I don't mean physically, but he's there. You have your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. You ready? 
Here's what it says. In your anger, do not sin. So the text teaches us that there is a way of having anger in your life and it not be sin. So there's a righteous anger and then there's an unrighteous anger, right? So a righteous anger would be something that breaks the heart of God, that we become angry at. So for instance, one of the things that's currently going on in our world today, we are having Christians slaughtered in the Middle East like it's an, at an incredible rate. And we have world leaders, including even in our own government, that refuse to call them Christians and recognize the people being slaughtered. We ought to have righteous anger for that. And that ought to move us to do something. So when something breaks the heart of God, righteous anger compels us to do something. Okay, we got that? This anger that we're going to talk about today does not break the heart of God in the sense that we're trying to do something. It breaks the heart of God because we are falling into it because it is sinful, okay? And so when, when he writes, in your anger do not sin, two different kind, we're not talking about righteous anger, we're talking about unrighteous anger, and the verse goes on and he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, keep a short list, write it in pencil, and every once in a while just erase it, right? Now oftentimes people talk about this verse in the context of marriage only, but it really applies to relationships, just in, across the board, relationships with whether it's your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, whatever it is, that, that we are to, in our anger, we are not to sin, we're not to keep a long record, we're not to go to sleep and allow that anger to just kind of fester into our life. Why? Verse 27. And do not give the devil a foothold. And the word foothold in your outline means opportunity, location, place, or room. In your anger, some of you are sinning. And when you are sinning, you are opening up the door for Satan to have a room in your location, in your house. And when we think of that way, we're like, whoa, I mean, it's just uh, carrying it a little farther, uh, a little too far. But the reality is that's the truth. And all through Scripture, we find that. We find people who in anger acted out and it opens the door. Cain and Abel is really a great example of that. In Genesis 4 there, it talks about him being angry. Cain being angry, right? And it says, verse 7 goes on, he says that sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to master you. That's an authoritative word. It means to be Lord of your life. In your anger, you've opened up the door. The enemy has come in. And what did Cain do? Anybody know? Killed his brother, right? And so all through history we find that, and even in today's current context, I mean, you'll find people who, who lash down to say, well, they just snapped, right? And they did something hurtful to someone. I just, I, just, I just snapped, man, right? In your anger. Anger opens up the door for the enemy to come in. So has he got a room in your house? Has he got a place to stay? So let's look at some wrong ways of handling anger, and then we're going to spend the, the most part of the uh, message dealing with it because I think oftentimes we look at the wrong area. And I've said this a hundred times before. <clears throat> anger is a symptom of something larger in your life. And too often people want to address the symptom. And unfortunately, you can't solve problems in your life by going after the symptom. 
You've got to go to the root in order to really address it so that you're able to remove that in your life, okay? And, and so people will say, and if you're in anger management, stay there, you know, I'm not saying not to, but they'll talk about the trigger. Oh, uh, you know, that, that's a trigger that caused me. Well, and we'll talk about that because that, that, I don't believe that that's the case. I think there's a bigger issue in which needs to be addressed and taken care of. But in the meantime, let's have a little fun to see if this is where you're at. Wrong ways to handle anger. Number one, don't raise your hand. Just point to your spouse if this is them. All right, here we go. Then we have the, the, the spewers. Those who express their anger, right? These, these are folks that go to the grocery store, the DMV, the post office. You know, they go to meetings, whatever it is, and they want everyone to know, whoever's at an earshot away, that they are angry. And it's not right, and we got, and they just want everybody to absolutely know their feelings, their heart, They've justified, they rationalize, they've whatever they've done, but boy, they are just willing to, they just want everyone to know, all right? Now, if that's you, and this isn't Pastor Dan saying it, this is God's, God telling you, you are a fool. Aren't you glad you showed up at church today? <laughs> Proverbs 29, verse 11, it says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And so people who have that kind of mentality will say, well, you know what, I mean, I just tell it the way that it is. It's like hunting a hummingbird with a shotgun, right? I mean, it works, but it's just not really the way to do it, right? And so we want to blast them because we feel that we're getting it off our chest. But have you ever thought about the person who's receiving it? How do they feel? Truth is, they feel like a hummingbird that somebody went hunting with a shotgun. They get blown out of the sky, right? In Proverbs 14, verse 17, it says, a a quick-tempered man does foolish things. And again, we could have testimonies and stay here till next week with people standing up telling stories about either them or someone else who's done something in anger who's been hurtful. Second one is the stewers. Got any stew makers around here? And that's the ones that just get it, and they just kind of suppress it. They just hold on to it. Now, here's what's interesting about a stewer. They will eventually become a spewer. It just takes them a little longer. And if you are a stewer, if you're married to one, here's the way it's going to roll for you. All of a sudden, one day, there will be a volcano that will take place in your home. And it will come flying out of nowhere and they'll reach all the way back into 1992 when Bill Clinton was president, right? And they'll tell you the hat you had on, what it said, where you were standing, what you're doing, your facial expression, how much money you had in your wallet, right? And if you're not one of those people, you're like, I'm lucky to remember yesterday, <laughs> right? In fact, I just got to remember, set the clock forward, spring forward. That's all I'm just like dealing with right now, right? And, and so if you're a steward, you hold it in, until it just kind of gets to that point where you can't hold the pressure, and then all of a sudden, you just want to launch out and move forward. David writes in Psalms 32, he says, I kept my silence and my bones wasted away. Right? So all of a sudden, the cap gets kind of blown off of it. Right? 
So, so the two wrong ways are spewers and stewers. And here's what I want to say. Most of the time, people address the symptom and not the root issue. And what I want to do today is talk about the root issue. Last week, we looked at bitterness, and we looked at how that progresses in our life. And I want to kind of come back and revisit it. Because again, most of the time, we're looking at the symptom and people will say, man, you've got to control your anger. You know, you, you just got to hold on to it. And people will say, well, you know what? She just brings the worst out of me. You know, no one else causes, it's just whenever I'm around my, you know, fill in the blank, and, and just, you know, all, all of a sudden, I mean, it just comes, you know, it just, I just got to stay away from them. But the reality is, that's not the issue. The issue is you. You're the issue. And so let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to just kind of plow through it pretty quickly here. Matthew 15, verse 1, the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law are, te- are, are talking with Jesus. They remember the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have taken the Ten Commandments and they've applied some you know, 500 plus regulations and so forth on top of it and it's become known as the tradition of the elders, right? So they've got ten plus 500. And so in the conversation, Jesus is uh, talking with them and they're talking with him. Verse 1. And some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked, and here's the question that they ask in verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Okay, and here's their big gripe that they have. Their big gripe is they don't wash their hands before they eat. That's our complaint. Because... The, the, the tradition was, just have you ever watched a documentary where a surgeon is scrubbing and they put their hands under and they put that stuff on and they're scrubbing all the way up their arms? Well, the tradition was from the, the, the end of your middle finger to the elbow, you had to clean it. And it wasn't about hygiene, okay? So if you're here and you're like, Pastor Dan said, I don't got to wash my hands, Mom. That's not the point. The point isn't hygiene. The point was that they believed that somehow if they didn't scrub from the fingertip to their elbow, something would make them unclean spiritually. And so they would scrub before they would eat. That was kind of the law, that was the part of the regulation in which they wanted to introduce into it. And and so they're asking Jesus, why is that? Verse 3, and Jesus replied, And he comes back with another question. And he says, well, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? In other words, your tradition supersedes uh, all of the uh, Ten Commandments. Why why do you do that? Verse 6 goes on. He says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Verse 7, he calls them hypocrites. Well, why are they hypocrites? Verse 8. Those people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. So it isn't hygiene. It's a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue in which Jesus is, have taken the conversation and turned it on them, right? They're talking about cleaning from the fingertip to the elbow, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's a bigger issue here that you're missing, okay? And he says, so he calls them hypocrites because you honor God with your lips and not your heart. Verse 9, they worship me in vain. Their teaching is rules taught by men. And so they elevate the teachings of the the tradition above the Ten Commandments, verse 10. So Jesus called the crowd to him. He said, listen up, everyone, huddle up, let's gather in. Everyone listening, paying attention. Verse 11, what goes into a man's mouth 
does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean, right? And so, you know, everyone's paying attention now. Verse 17, he brings in the disciples into the conversation because he wants to teach them a huge spiritual lesson here. In verse 17, he says this, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? That's brilliant right there, right? And if you teach this in seventh grade, you know, mid, middle school, they're laughing at this point. They're like, Jesus actually said you do that? It's like, yeah, that's funny. All right, so let's move on. Verse 18, here's the issue. <clears throat> but the things that come out of the mouth comes from the, the heart, which is the issue that Jesus is getting at. And these make a man unclean. What's in the box? Boxes. And I put those in the boxes. I put the little boxes in the big box. Right? We're tracking? What if it's you? This is Jesus' point. That what's in you is what's going to come out of you. So for instance, if you have hurts and pains in your life, that's in you. That's inside of you. And if you have hurts and pains in your life that are not dealt with according to scriptures we looked at last week, you know what? Slander, malice, brawling, which is hurtful words, rage, and anger. And if you want to know why it's coming out of you, is because Jesus says that's what's in you. And that is a warning to you. And when we have experiences of unrighteous anger in our life, that is warning, warning, warning. You are entering into a danger zone. And you need to pay attention to it. Yeah, but it's her. It's him. It's them. It's that. And Jesus says, no, it isn't. It has nothing to do with them. It's you. Because that's what's in you. Because what's in your box is what comes out of your box. But we want to talk about the trigger. We want to deal with the symptom. And Jesus says you're never going to get anywhere until you deal with what's in you. Because it's a heart issue. It isn't an anger issue. It's that you have hurts and pains in your life that you haven't dealt with biblically, which we looked at last week, and as a result of it, what is the progression? The progression is that it's going to go and it's going to ultimately turn into where you want to hurt someone with malice. But we want to talk about the trigger. And she makes me so mad. And every time I run into my ex and I'm telling you, no, it's in you. It isn't them. But it's easier to talk about them. That's true, it is. Because we don't want to look at ourselves, do we? It's easy to cast off onto someone else and not address the issue in which we're struggling with. Number one, so your heart, Jesus would say, is responsible for your words, actions, and deeds. That's where it comes from. Look with me in verse 19. For out of the heart comes, and here we go, 
evil thoughts, murder, idol, uh, 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 adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Verse 20. These, not cleaning your hands, these are what makes a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Focusing on scrubbing from your fingertips to your elbow, that's not what makes you unclean. What makes you unclean is what's in you. And if you want to know what's in you, just simply watch your words, your actions, and your deeds. Because that's what's going to come out of you. Because that's what you've placed in your box, in your life. And so whenever we have anger, it's simply a warning that our heart is not healthy. It's not right. And it comes bubbling out of us. And we, again, we want to cast judgment on someone else. We want to point the finger. We want to address you know, everything else. And I'm telling you, if just this happened and that happened, I wouldn't have it. And Jesus would just simply say, no, it's really your heart. You've got a heart issue that you need to address. Number two. So if your heart isn't in good shape, it's going to be almost impossible to maintain healthy relationships with anybody. And, and, and again, I mean, this is, this is so true in relationships where you see people who have an issue with anger. At one minute, it's Joe Bob, but then down the road, it's Susie Q. And how do I find these people that just make me so mad? Well, it isn't them. They may be unpleasant, but it's you because that's what's in you. And that what's, that's what's coming out of you in your life. Well, I just need to stay away because she brings the worst out of me. No, she doesn't. She may be difficult. She may not communicate well. She may be frustrating. We may have a, a vote and 100% of us would say, she's a difficult woman. But listen, it's in you. And that's why it comes out of you. And you need to recognize that. And stop looking at the trigger and all this other stuff and start looking at your heart. Number three. So what makes your, uh, so what is in your heart is going to come out of you regardless of who is around you. And let me just say this as a side note, just as the first group didn't get it. This is why in marriages, first marriage, like, and then we go into the second one, if we haven't dealt with the hurts and pains from our first one, guess what we carry into the second one? Does anybody know? You. And you carry it from this relationship into this relationship. What if you go for three? Guess what you take? Exactly. Last I checked, everywhere I go, I go. Write that down. That's spiritual right there. And whenever I figure out how I can go without being there, I'll write a book. So here's the issue. How do we get a healthy heart? How do we address what's in us? Because that's really the issue. The issue is what's in us. So let's take a look. Steps to a healthy heart. Four steps, not necessarily in order, but I think that they kind of fit this way. So here they go. Step number one is you've got to fill your heart with God's Word. And if you've been in church for any length of time, more than two weeks, you know every pastor pounds it and says, listen, you've got to memorize Scripture, right? Well, why is that? 
well, how are you going to get all this out of you? Because you've already tried to get rid of it, haven't you? And you look at yourself and you don't like it, do you? Well, the only way you can purge the junk that's in your life is by taking the Word of God and pouring it into you. This is toxic. And the Word of God neutralizes it and flushes it. Right? So we've got to be disciplined in memorizing and filling our hearts with Scripture. Psalms 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? That's a great question. How is it possible, Mr. Psalm writer? Here it is. Live according to your word. That's brilliant. Every Monday I wake up and I say, I want to live according to your word. How do I do that? And about halfway through my commute, I'm already cussing, throwing out things at the people, right? Anybody? Come on. It's okay to be honest in church. It's all right. That's why I decided just to move down the road so I don't have to commute, so I can be pure when I come into my office. (laughs) You ought to try it. It works good. Verse 10. I seek you with all my heart. I like that. That's good. I, I think all of us would agree with that. Don't let me stray from your commands. I like that too. But I still have a question. How? How can I keep my ways pure? How can I live according to your word? How can I seek you with all of my heart? How can I not stray into the bushes? How is that possible? Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart. And here it is. That I might not sin against you. How do you purge the junk that's in you? Is by filling your heart with the Word of God. Reading it, listening to it on a CD, however it works for you. But allowing God to pour His Word into your life to flush out the toxin and the crud and the junk. Because here's what I learned in life, that as I walk through life, I'm like this magnetic force and all kinds of things come pouring into me, even when I don't want them to. You got the same problem, right? And things come pouring into me, and at the end of the day, it's like a big magnet that they sweep through a, a shop where they push it around on wheels and it picks up all the nails, right? And I look at myself and I'm like, how did I get all this stuff, right? And if I'm not addressing it, guess what it does? It takes root in my heart. It just grows in my heart. Because I'm not addressing it and I'm not dealing with it. Number two is keep your mind focused on praiseworthy things. And we're going to look at this next week as we look at worry. We're going to take a a deeper look at Philippians chapter 4. How many of you guys are worry words? Anybody? Well, let me just say this to you. Just as anger, this this is going to be encouraging. So I called some of you a fool a little while ago. So here's the other one. I'm going to insult everyone by the end of the service. So glad you're here. I hope you show up next week. Just as, just as, where's my anger? Just as anger, hey, I've been healed. Here it is. All right. So just as anger is a sign of your heart, worry is a picture of your belief of God. Okay. How you like that? I don't worry about anything, Pastor Dan. My heart's pure. My mind's focused on you. 
Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think on those things. Right? Isn't that hard? Number three, and this is a huge one that our younger culture is missing and it is definitely an area of concern for for pastor. Here it is. Make worship a priority. We, we as, especially folks who are about 55 and younger, we do not see worship as a priority. And it's dangerous. Today, in the average church, around 50% of people do not show up but two times a month. So in the children's area, Pastor Dan in the back, uh, on any given Sunday, he has somewhere between 80 to 90 kids back there in, in both of the services. And he has about 160 to 180 kids that come at least once or twice a month. So 50% of the kids are not showing up, right? We, we don't prioritize worship, not like it used to be. It's just one of many things to do, and that's how we look at it. And it's dangerous, <clears throat> and here's why. Psalms 86, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear, uh, that I may fear your name, verse 12. I will praise you. I will worship you. I will exalt your name. I will lift you up, right? The great I am. Is that a great song, right? We will sing. We will praise you. Oh, uh, oh Lord, my God, with all of our heart, I will glorify your name forever. Now, pay attention, okay? Verse 13 begins to help us to understand why we're praising him. And we begin to understand why we're going to glorify him with all of our heart. And why we're going to focus on him. And here's why. For great is your love toward me. You know what corporate worship does that, that your private devotional time does not do? It do it, not that you, it, not at times you don't experience it. Corporate worship, there's, a, there's something that the Spirit of God does in corporate worship that he doesn't seem to do as, as much in private worship. And that is to remind us of God's love. I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter what songs or what the message is. But there's something spiritual that takes place in the body of believers that when we gather together as a group of believers, that there's something that reminds us that we matter and that God's love pursues us. Right? And it's just a reminder. And then the verse goes on. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. You know what also corporate worship does? It reminds us that God in his grace reached down and pulled us up. And that his love pursues us. Now why is that important? Because your heart needs to be reminded of that. Because the world doesn't say that to you, does it? Does the person you're commuting with, do they, do they, unless they're a believer, they don't look at you, right? The person who phones you up, on the, uh, calls you up. I mean, it's tear down, tear down, tear down, tear down. And church for just an hour is a time where we gather. God loves us and he's pursuing us. And in his grace and his mercy, he reached down and he plucked us out. And then the, third, the fourth step is this. Quickly confess known don't beg God. My experience is if I bow my head, he'll show me all my faults pretty quickly. Quickly confess my known sin in my life. Quickly confess them. Okay? Now, now let me spend a minute with you on this, okay? 
we have taught, pastors have taught, that what confession is, is guilt relief. That's what we taught it is. When you sin, just confess it. Just kind of purge yourself of that, that guilt. God touch, touches you on the shoulder. It's like, man, you can't do that. Just confess it. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Now, I'm going to do it tonight, but just between now and tonight, I'm clear. I'm good, right? Right? Okay, good. All right, good. Right? Six o'clock. Hey, oh, Lord, forgive me. Sorry. Now, now listen, tomorrow I'm going to do it again, but I just want to sleep good tonight. So I want to feel good about myself. I just want to know my slate's wiped clean and it's all good. Right? Because I really don't have any intentions of changing. I just want guilt relief in my life. Okay? So 1 John 1.9, we throw this out. And it's true. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and He'll forgive us of our sins and He'll purify us. Right? And everyone says, Amen. The problem is, is that's not what confession is in Scripture. Confession isn't, Lord, forgive me today, but I'm going to do it later, but just relax for me now. Just kind of wipe my slate clean, and I have no intentions of changing. That's not what confession is. Confession means to change your mind. It means that, listen, I was filled with anger. I unloaded on my kids. I unloaded on my spouse. I unloaded on my coworker, And I went to them and I said, you know what? I want you to forgive me. God, I want you to forgive me. And I turn and I walk away from it. It's not till the next time. It's to flee from it. But we, te- we, we, we have this idea that confession is just kind of, just get rid of the guilt. It's all good. It's all good. In your outline, confess means admit that I have done something wrong. That's what confession is. The definition of confession in Scripture is associated with change, right? It is connected with restitution, repentance, and restoration. That's what it is. That we need to recognize that when we confess, we're changing. We're not, we're not just doing it until the next time we do it. Now, are you going to sin again? Yes, because we're all sinners. But you're playing games with God if you're just pretending to say, hey, just kind of sweep it aside, but I have no intentions of really changing. I'm just going to kind of sweep it under the rug. Now, let me just kind of share with you my heart, all right? Here's my experience. The person who's wrestling with anger, who's the stewer or spewer, they unload. They unload on their spouse. They unload on their kids. They unload on their coworkers. And then they go back and they say, hey, you know what? Sorry, I'm sorry. I, I feel so bad. Sorry. Forgive me. Oh, you're forgiven. God, forgive me. Okay, God, God, forgive me. The next day, back with anger. Leveling them. Lowering the plow. Taking them out. Oh, forgive me. Just for, okay, you forgive me. And we do this time and time and time again. Now listen, 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 listen. This is why it's in the danger zone. Because there will be a time where they're going to say, no, I'm not going to. And in every relationship, this is my experience, every relationship in a married sense, as soon as 
the pain to stay in it is greater than the pain to walk away from it. As soon as the scale tips in that direction, O-V-E-R, over. But I said I was sorry, but forgive me, but, but, but. You can't lower the boom on people. You cannot shoot the hummingbird with the shotgun. Because your anger is ruining the relationships that you're in. And everyone else knows it. But somehow you think, well, I said I was sorry. I said, I, forgive me. I mean, God, 1 John 1, 9. But are you addressing it? Well, no, not until next time. And then I'll say, I'm sorry again. And you're not addressing it. You're confessing it for guilt relief so that you feel good. But let me just share with you, if you're married to, if, if you're the, if the person that's filled with anger, the people that you live with aren't feeling real good. It's not. And Jesus says, it's your heart. It's your heart. If you want to address the, the anger, if you want to address the hurts and pains in your life, you've got to look at the heart. And you need to begin to fill the heart with the word of God. You need to begin to keep your mind on things that are praiseworthy. You need to go into corporate worship and allow the spirit of God to do some trimming in your life. And when God reveals it to you, don't play around. Don't stand in the danger going and go, oh, it doesn't matter. I said I was sorry. They're going to forgive me. Because listen, there's a day where they won't. Where they're going to say, done, thank you. Confess it quickly. Not for guilt relief, but for transformation, for change in your life. Let's pray.